Hi everyone, welcome to Faith Community Church. We're so glad that you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn more about our church, you can check us out at woodstockfcc.com. That's woodstockfccfaithcommunitychurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Good morning again. Remember, I'm not cool enough to have coffee on the stage, so this is my lemon honey ginger tea with a whole bunch of honey in it, and we'll see how that does to keep this cough suppressed, because uh, I know you don't want to be here if I'm coughing every five minutes, because it'll be a long time to get all of the words out from these pages. So I'm going to keep sipping on this, and we'll do our best, but you'll have to bear with me if the coughs do creep in there. Uh, but we're going to keep doing our best, and that's all we can do, right? So this is our second last week, can you believe that, in this Abide series. And it's not because there's not a whole lot more to say about Abide. In fact, I think we'll come revisit this theme probably in the new year sometime. But rather it's because, and maybe the weather outside is helping you be more prepared for this, Advent starts in two weeks. So next week we're going to finish Abide. The week after that, first Sunday of Advent. Can you believe that Christmas is coming? I'm excited for that, but uh, before we think more about the future and what's coming with Advent, I want to stay where we are now in John 15. And I hope and I'm praying that over the last, we've done seven weeks now, this will be week eight and especially over week nine, that we'll finish up next week. I hope that you have already and you will continue to begin to see the importance of and the necessity, I should say, of abiding in Jesus, of connecting with him in real and meaningful ways. And if you were here last week or you listened last week, you'll, you'll remember uh, that I said as we've been exploring this passage in John 15, the first half of the passage, it's all about abiding in Jesus. That's basically what Jesus says over and over and over and over again. And then there's a shift as we get to the second half, which we started last week at verse 7. Uh, the second half is still, yes, about abiding in Jesus. The, the main theme doesn't change, but it begins to get a little more practical. And that's certainly going to be the case for where we're going to spend our time today. But let me just pray, and then we'll move on from here. So, Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would fill this place with your presence. May we become aware of your presence that is here. Lord, we pray for this service, that everything that we do and say, all the words and sounds, every aspect of it would be received as a worthy sacrifice, that it would be glorifying to you this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll take even what I've prepared and you'll just lead and guide me and give me the courage to follow your leading. If I need to change something, Lord, give me the courage to follow your leading because what you have to say is more important than what I might want to say. We're here not to hear a nice sermon, but to hear from you. Would you speak, Lord, as we, your servants, listen? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've been in the church for a while... <coughs> It's likely you've heard a phrase, something like this, let's glorify God. I mean, I guess I even just prayed that, right? That everything that we do would be glorifying to God. Uh, I pray that just about every week, I think. Or maybe you could just relate to how, as we transition to Christmas, anyone else got Christmas music on yet, or is that just me? Well, okay, there's at least two of you, three of you. It's okay, I won't be offended. I could listen to it year-round. A lot of Christmas music, and I'm going to help you get into the spirit of it. It's about glorifying God, right? A lot of the songs are about Gloria, bringing glory to God, celebrating the glory of God. And that's just an exciting thing to do. Uh, over and over again, we sing about or we talk about God's glory. But I, I wanted to step back this morning and say, just because something's familiar, 
doesn't mean we have a good understanding of what it means, and I don't want to presume on any of us this morning that we have a, a, a meaningful understanding of what glory, and God's glory in particular, means. So I'm going to do my best this morning to do two things, just to try to keep this simple. First, I want to try to bring some clarity to what that means. What does glory mean? And then we're going to talk about how you and I can bring glory to God. In fact, Jesus makes it really clear in our John 15 passage, in our verse for today, John 15, 8. In John 15, 8, Jesus makes it so clear. He says, my Father, God, is glorified by this, what? That you bear much fruit and become my disciples. <coughs> so let's talk about this. Let's start by making sure we understand the word glory. <laughs> and we're going to be here a while. <coughs> I'm okay until I talk. It's just unfortunate that I have to talk all morning. We're going to talk and we're going to make sure that we all leave here this morning with a firm understanding of the word glory. And so we're going to look at this. It comes from a Hebrew word, kavod. Can you say kavod? That's a fun word. I like it. Kavod. And the root of this word kavod is weight or heaviness. And so we can understand then when it talks about the glory, the kavod of God. <clears throat> when it talks about the kavod of God, it's talking about the weight of all that he is. Or we can say it another way, the glory of God is the weight or the heaviness of his presence. When God occupies a place, his kavod, his glory, is unmistakable. You experience it. You feel the weight of God's presence. And if and when you experience the weight of God's presence, this is the key, it changes you. Well, let me show you an example of this. I want to show you a video of a young girl named Daphne. Daphne, uh, believe it or not, received a shoebox through Operation Christmas Child. Maybe it's possible she even got a shoebox directly from us. And this is so cool. And, and through this, through receiving her shoebox through Operation Christmas Child, Daphne experienced the glory of God. So we're going to watch this video, and then I'll come back. Isn't that a great video? Isn't that something? I, I hope you understand when we participate in this ministry every year, when we fill these shoeboxes with little toys and trinkets and maybe some arts and crafts supplies, we, we don't do this so that we can feel better about ourselves. We do it because it's an opportunity for kids all around the world, like Daphne here, to experience the glory of God. Did you see how the weight of God's presence affected her? I've heard it explained like this. Picture a, a serene pond still waters. The water's like glass. It's not moving. There's no movement at all. Now imagine this still pond, that no movement in the water. Imagine you take a, a huge boulder and you drop it from 50 feet above into the water. Well, what happens? The, the big rock hits the water and it breaks the calm and the water's impacted dramatically. Why? Because it's responding to the weight of the rock. It doesn't remain the same anymore. And that's what God's glory is like. When the glory of God falls, you know it. When the glory of God falls, others know it. People don't remain the same after experiencing the glory of God, like Daphne, like me. Um, I don't think I've shared this before, but I, I can't pinpoint exactly when it would have happened in my life, but it's been a number of years anyways ago. Um, but as I began learning more and more about abiding in Jesus, and maybe more importantly, as I began putting it into practice, doing it, I noticed some changes in my life. Some of them bigger, but most of them 
pretty subtle. One subtle change I notice in my life is that I cry a lot more now. Now, I'm not walking around bawling at every little thing and not ugly crying, uh, but I, I get brought to tears a lot, a lot, a lot more than I used to. And I, I think it's just like Daphne in the video. I'm just more aware of God's presence in my life. I feel and I sense and I experience his goodness and the weight of him. And often that brings me to tears. And I've heard others describe a pretty similar experience to that too. I, I had a university professor, my favorite professor. He was the head of my program. I spent a lot of time with him. In fact, uh, in your undergrad, you take 40 courses, which is a lot. And I had him as my teacher for 10 of them, which is unheard of. One quarter of my university degree was spent with this one man. And, and I loved it. I was so happy that I could do that with him. I spent a lot of time with him. I really got to know him. I, I broke bread with him. I've eaten at his house. I knew his kids and his wife. And, and so I really knew him. And then a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go back to Ambrose, which is the university I went to. And I was at a conference, and uh, I happened to get to see my professor there again. And because I had spent so much time with him, because I knew him so well, uh, I could tell there was an immediate change. This wasn't the same person who I spent a quarter of my university degree with. There was something different. And because I had that relationship with him, I was pretty bold. And I said to him, I said, hey, what's changed? Something's different. You're not the same as you were before. And he just smiled at me, and I love this. He said, I found the Spirit. I found the Holy Spirit. And he's explaining to me it's more than just knowledge of, because he certainly had knowledge. This is a, a, a Bible expert, a language biblical expert. He knew his stuff. But more than knowledge of, which he certainly had, my professor was truly experiencing the weight of God in his life for the first time in a very long time, he shared. And it changed him. In fact, he told me one noticeable change in his life is that he is brought to tears a lot more easily than he used to before. And the point here is not that if you experience the glory of God in your life in real and tangible ways, that you must cry more or that you're going to cry more. Maybe you might, like me or Daphne and some others, but the, rather the point is this. People don't remain the same after experiencing the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah, he's a great example of this. Uh, he, he shares his experience of the weight of God, the glory of God. And he writes this in Isaiah 6, 1 to 5. Isaiah 6, 1 to 5 says, It was the year of, of King Uzai, it was the year, it was in the year that King Uzai died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's army. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Now you have to understand the significance of the weight of God, the glory of God, to understand Isaiah's fear here. Uh, in the temple system of the Old Testament, uh, there's a room that's more sacred than all the rest. It was called the most holy room or the holy of holies. 
and there were very specific instructions, and we know this is where Isaiah was seeing God's glory and presence as God was in the throne room of the temple, and this is where it was, and there was very specific instructions for this room and for specific reason, too. Let me read Leviticus 6, 16, verse 2, and it gives us the instructions here, at least the beginning. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron, Aaron was the high priest there, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is not a place, this specific spot in this specific room, the Holy of Holies, this is not a place that you could just peruse whenever you wanted. Why? God says, because I will appear there. Other translations say that he is present. His glory is there. And if you go on to read through Leviticus 16, you'll see a whole bunch of rules that priests can and can't do, things they have to wear or can't wear while they're in there. You'll see instructions for ceremonial cleansing and rituals for specific sacrifices they must do before they can go in at the prescribed time. Why? Because sin can't be present in the presence of God. And I know this is a lot of back history for this, but you have to understand the significance uh, of this if you ever want to understand the significance of what Isaiah is going through and the fear Isaiah had when he found himself in the presence of God, when he finds himself in the glory of God, the weight of God. Isaiah realizes, I am sinful. I am so sinful. And he cries out, I love this. He says, it's all over. I'm doomed. But let's look at what happens next. Verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 6. Verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. The weight of God's glory impacted Isaiah down to the very core of his being. He was unraveling. He, he, he thought he was going to be destroyed in the light of God's glory and his presence. He, he realized how much of a sinner he was, and he knew that he needed to be cleansed from the sin, else be destroyed in the presence of God. But instead of being destroyed, as he thought was going to happen, he was touched and forgiven. And there's, there's a few things I very quickly want to take from this passage I want us to learn before we get back to John 15. I promise we are getting back to John 15. First, I want you to understand, when you experience the glory of God, the weight of his presence, or when God touches you and he forgives you, when you're set free, you don't leave the same. It changes you. It impacts you. Like that rock in the pond, his glory has an effect on your life, and that initial effect has so many ripples. Second, I want you to understand, when you experience the glory of God, you respond. You respond. You respond in worship. You respond with a desire to serve the God who saves. Listen to the next part of the passage, Isaiah 6, 8. It says this, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, this is Isaiah's response, Here I am. Send me. He's excited. He wants to serve. He says, You can't come into God's presence. You can't experience the weight of God's glory and remain unchanged. You will be challenged. You will be convicted. But through Jesus, you'll be offered forgiveness. And you're going to leave excited saying, here I am. Send me. Use me. Help me to help others know about you and experience your glory. I promise this is relevant to John 15. We're heading back there right now, but I want to make sure I've been extremely clear. What's God's glory? The glory of God is the weight of all 
that God is. It's the weight of his presence. And we jump back now, back into John 15, verse 8, where Jesus tells us that we, collectively, you and I, can bring glory to God, right? He, he makes it plain. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. You are to bear much fruit. What fruit? Well, we've talked about this, and I don't want to rehash everything. Over and over again, we've said this, that we are to abide in Christ, and as we abide in Christ, we will bear Christ-like fruit. Remember Viticulture 101. I've said this just about every week. It says, source determines substance. So if you are connected to Christ in real and meaningful ways and doing what he says, you are going to bear Christ-like fruit. And I've mostly defined Christ-like fruit uh, with three things. I've said this quite a few times. First, you're going to have a Christ-like attitude. You're going to have a Christ-like character. And you're going to carry out a Christ-like mission in the world. And all that's great, and you're saying this is great, but get really practical with me. What does that actually look like? And I can give you a really short answer, and you're going to wish I stopped there, but I'm going to give the long answer too, but we'll do both. The short answer is love. That's what it looks like. It looks like love. In the following verses of John 15, Jesus makes this so abundantly clear. We'll look at some. I'll read John 15, 9 to 13, and then I'll jump down to verse 17 for you. So this is what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me... So I, I, have I loved you, now remain or abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one th than this to lay down one's life for one's own friends. Then verse 17. Really simple. If you're looking for a new verse to memorize this week, this is the one. What do we got here? Seven words. This is my command, Jesus says. Love each other. Don't complicate this. This is my command. This is Jesus talking. This is what you are required to do. This is the evidence of fruit in your life and that you are connected to me. Love each other. It seems pretty clear to me. Jesus is teaching here and other places in the Bible, it makes it explicitly clear that we bring glory to God when we love others. Let me push this forward. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus again talking. A new command I give you. What does he say? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Here's the new part. By this, by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. The distinguishing mark of a disciple of Jesus, of one who is connected to the vine and bearing fruit, is that we love others. In fact, I'll push it even further. You're with me? 1 Corinthians 13. We like that one. We know that one. That's the love chapter of the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 13, I'll read the first three verses. It says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardships that I may boast but I do not love, I gain nothing. This is a significant passage, and what's being said here is so incredible. It's not significant because it sounds nice and it's poetic, and we read it at weddings and it's familiar. That's all great. Please use it at weddings. It's a great passage. I'm not mad at you, but I want you to slow down because it's familiar to make sure you hear what it's actually saying because this is really, really significant. It's essentially saying the gifts of the Spirit 
are worthless, or worse, dangerous, without bearing fruit in your lives. Really, that's what all of 1 Corinthians 13 is about. It's about the importance and the necessity of being a fruit-bearing Christian. If your life is not characterized by the attitude, character, and mission of Jesus, or we can shorten that and say, if your life isn't characterized by love, then everything else is meaningless. It's using the gifts of the Spirit. Please do use the gifts God gives you. But it's using them in love that makes them effective for bringing glory to God. Otherwise, if you're using them not in love, it's likely that you're trying to use God's gifts to shine a light on yourself. Listen to Matthew 5.16. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your heavenly Father. See, when you connect with Jesus, when you experience the weight of God's presence in your life, when you work with him to produce fruit in your life, mainly loving others, it's going to lead to action. And of course, and if it doesn't, James 1.22 tells us, you're deceiving yourself. You're hearing the words, but you're not putting it into action. And that's no good either. And so we're told here in Matthew 5 that we are to let our light shine to others. We need to let our good deeds uh, make such an impact on those around us that, that not so that they point to me or point to you, but so that others may see and glorify God. Do you remember back early in this series, I think it might have been the first or second week, and I'm sure all of you have perfect memory, my words were so significant they never leave your mind. Okay, seriously, you guys can laugh at these things. I'm being really sarcastic. Back near the beginning of the series, I, I offered this reminder, and this is really significant, that we, those who profess to be Christians, those who pro profess to be connected to the vine, Jesus, we who abide in Christ need to understand that the branch, that's us, we're the branches, we need to understand that the branch does not bear fruit so that it can eat, but so others can. The branch does not bear fruit so that it can eat, but so that others can. You gotta understand your fruit bearing, you being Christ-like, your attitude, your character and mission that resembles Christ in the world is all about shining a light on God. It's about bringing glory to God and helping others to experience the weight of his presence in their lives. Paul, uh, speaking to the church in Corinth, he was commending them and encouraging them to be obedient to God, to what? To produce fruit in their lives. And he writes this. This is in 2 Corinthians 9.13. He says, As a result of your ministry, what you are doing, how you are living out, your fruit, they, others, will give glory to God. Do, do you not want that to be said of you? Do you not want to do something to have fruit in your life that's being bared? And others will say, because of your fruit, because of your love, because of how you treat me like Christ treats you, I've experienced the glory of God. Do you not want someone to say, God has used you in tremendous ways because of your obedience, I feel the weight of God's glory in his presence. Think about those shoeboxes, right? Uh, when you gave one of these shoeboxes, uh, they're going to go to kids all across the world uh, in faraway countries. And you know, the reality is when they open it up, they're going to be happy. They're going to be excited. And, and some of them through the programs are going to experience the glory of God. But guess what? They're not going to glorify you. They don't even know who you are. They don't even know that you gave it. And they won't even glorify Faith Community Church here. They have no idea it came from us either. Why? because uh, they just have no idea where these things come from. But through the simple shoeboxes of toys 
art supplies, basic necessities, they might glorify God. See, I want you to understand that a fruitful life, a Christ-like life, a life characterized by love, it is noticeable and it's attractive to the world. Think about my professor, how well I knew him. I knew him so well, but something was different, and I could notice a bit. I could notice something was different. A fruitful life, a Christ-like life, a life characterized by love is noticeable and attractive to the world. The life that bears Christ-like fruit in abundance is going to be noticed. And so Jesus says, he reminds us in John 15, 8, this is to my Father's glory that you what? That you bear much fruit, which in turn, he says, shows that you're connected to me, that shows that you're my disciple. Listen, you don't have to be some great theologian to glorify God. Isn't that good news? You don't need some prestigious title in order to glorify God. You don't need to be smarter than you are right now or more rich or more poor or older or younger or anything to glorify God. What you do need, though, is to obey what Jesus says. And what Jesus says so clearly here in John 15, 12 and in many other places, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for loving us first. We can love because you first loved us. This morning we pray that we would become more aware of your presence in our lives. We pray, Lord, like Isaiah says when he comes into your presence, we pray that we will say, here I am, send me, use me, help me to let my words and my actions, my life characterized by love, by being connected with you, shine a light on you for others to see. May what we do glorify you. As John the Baptist prayed, that we would become less and you would become greater. Now, Lord, as we prepare to slow down, as we prepare to partake in communion together, pray that this will be a meaningful moment of engaging with you in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are going to partake in communion. If you didn't get a cup, you can raise your hand and we'll make sure you get one. Uh, but if you did, you want to make sure there's two little tabs. These things are uh, a little tricky. The first little tab will open up to the bread, and then the second bigger tab will get you to the juice, and we'll partake this together. Um, but I wanted to talk about this for a minute as we're here. Partaking in communion or the Lord's Supper, this is a response to an invitation that has been given. This is an invitation to come and experience the weight of God, His presence. And we're reminded by the bread and the juice that we can do this. We can come and we can stand in God's presence because Jesus' body was broken, because his blood was spilled. As he took what was rightfully ours, that's just punishment for sin, and he gave us what was rightfully his, which is a pure, perfect righteousness. And so we can stand in the very presence of God knowing that we are covered in the righteousness of Christ. And so then we remember... That on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This 
is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I ask, would you take, would you give thanks, and would you eat? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. It says, this is the cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so I pray, would you give thanks and would you drink? Jesus tells us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, that we are proclaiming his death until he comes again. Let me quickly pray for us here. So, Father, we are so grateful for you sent Jesus. As we approach Christmas, we we begin to remember more and more about the sacrifice from the beginning to the end of his earthly life. We we are so grateful that you sent him to die in our place so that we can be credited with his righteousness and that we can come without fear or trembling into your very presence. We can experience the weight of of your glory. So we ask now, Lord, as we head into a moment of quiet listening, would you speak into our lives? Would you speak into our lives? Would you make known your presence in our circumstances that we're facing? Uh, Maybe we're carrying heavy loads from the week before. We see heavy loads coming up. Would you speak into that? Would you refresh us, renew us, restore us, And we pray this then, in Jesus' name we pray. All all other voices would be silent, that we would just hear and experience you in this moment of quiet. Amen. So this is something we do at the end of every service here at Faith Community. We call it Take Two. It's a significant moment, and I don't want it to be you just to breeze through it because we've been doing it now for, I think, two years. So we're going to slow down a little, even before we slow down, to make sure we come... Uh, to this with the right reverence. This is a moment where you're going to experience and hear God and be in his presence. Every week we give you this opportunity to not just come to church and leave without actually meeting with God. We want to make sure that you take the time to slow down. And so we ask you to ask these two questions. The first is, ask God, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to hear? What do you, message are you trying to get through? And I haven't been slowed down or calm enough to hear it this week. Now that I'm doing that, Lord, what do you want to say to me? And it could be from the sermon, from the scriptures, from the songs, maybe just from that important moment of communion where you experience the grace of God. Just take a moment. You say, God, what are you saying to me? And then listen, this is not just about internal reflection. That's part of it, but it's so much more meaningful than that. God speaks. And what he has to say is worth hearing. So ask God, what are you saying to me? And then we go to the second one, always, always to the second one, which says, now that I've heard from you, what do you want me to do about it? How are you asking me to respond? So we're going to give you two minutes to ask these two questions, then I'll come back and I'll close our service. We'll start the hammer for you right about now.
Why don't you stand with me as we pray benediction into the coming week? We've been doing this one for the last few weeks, and it's a great way to start a week. It's a great way to end a week. So I'm going to require a little bit of action from you, but I think you can handle it. We're going to start by pointing to our eyes, and we're going to pray this together. Is it up here? It'll be there. Let's pray this. We pray, Father God, fill us with your love. Help us to love you and everything that you've made. Next, we point to... Oh, I did it wrong. We start with point to our eyes, do we? Who did, why do you guys correct me? That one's our heart. Now we're going to point to our eyes, but we're going to get extra double portion of pointing to our eyes. Maybe we can do one, one heart, one eyes. Hey? That's, no, I'm just we point to our eyes, and we're going to pray this into our week. We say, Lord Jesus, help us to see you and to see others the way that you see them too. And last, we're going to point to our ears. And we pray this into our coming week. We say, Holy Spirit, help us to hear you and give us the courage to do what you say. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you so much for coming.